Welcome back to another episode of Sips with the Tips, a podcast about savouring the sip, whether that's coffee, cocktails, whiskey, wine or whatever. My name's Daniel. I'm Nikki. And we are the Tips. So welcome to episode two of Sips with the Tips. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And if you are back for another episode... Thanks very much for sticking with us. It's been a fun uh, last seven days launching our first episode of Sips with the Tips and sharing it with the world, eh? Yeah, we had no idea how it was going to go, really. We have never obviously launched a podcast before, so we weren't Mm. sure if we were going to get any feedback at all. But we have been getting some nice engagement on the Instagram and, yeah, hearing some comments back from... <laughs> on the Instagram. <laughs> I know, I sound like an 85-year-old, actually, on on, on the gram. Uh, but, no, it has been, it's been pleasantly surprising, actually. We've yeah. been really chuffed all week. And just want to say a massive thank you to those who did listen, uh, who joined us on Instagram over the past week and have given us any feedback. You can share any thoughts with us at Sips with the Tips on Instagram. We love getting it. And the big question that we had following episode one, which was on the topic of... Of the best whiskey for beginners was what are your recommendations for the best beginner whiskey or perhaps what was the whiskey that you started on and we actually got a few responses to this mm. um, so some of the responses that we got was one from Kyle who said out with the standard Jack Daniels and Coke mix I think it was the same as myself, wasn't it? <laughs> he says, my first proper, and I put that in quotation marks, my first proper whiskey was a Glenmorangie 12-year-old Lasanta, which was actually one of My suggestions, suggestions, yeah, from last week. And a beautiful drop, that one, too. And we also had a little comment through from Emma, who said that her vote for the best beginner whiskey would be Red Breast, which is gorgeous Irish whiskey, so we can definitely agree on that one there. Mm, and one that we had, and I've not actually shared this one with you on our notes, uh, I kept this one private because I knew that you'd quite enjoy it, was from Colin and Elena, who wanted to recommend Blair Athol's 12-year-old single malt. They say tasting notes include apricots, honey, and the taste of kissing the paws of an otter that has dipped its toes into a lowland stream. <laughs> Anything that involves the paws of otters is a bit of me. Oh my gosh. I have not actually tried that one, and I most definitely uh, need to after that experience. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that one, so thank you, Colin and Elena, for that rather romantic description there. So let's get into today's episode, but first, a quick recap of the weekend. Uh, it's been action-packed, hasn't it? We've been away. It's been a long weekend here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, our first ever Matariki public holiday was on Friday, so we took the opportunity to get back to the west coast of New Zealand, see some family. We tried a couple of Monteith's Hazy Pale Ales, which we couldn't find in shops over here. I was excited. To come across those in the bottle store, picked up some Guinness and made a wee Guinness stew for the fam, and also took a wee detour yesterday on the way home, didn't we? Yeah, yesterday we came home via Reefton, where we went to Reefton Distilling Co., which was really good actually. It's a small little setup they've got there, but they have a whiskey in the works. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, their kind of main selling point is Little Bitty Gin. And they've got some really nice liqueurs going too, but there's a lot of really cool botanical influences and a lot of those are, they're native to New Zealand, a lot of the ingredients aren't they? They are, they use a lot of uh, stuff from sort of the rainforest kind of native forest that they have surrounding Reefton. Now, admittedly, I walked in there uh, curious and and perhaps even a little bit sceptical and then we walked out with two bottles of gin. So yeah, yeah, they they won us over, definitely. (laughs) So on to today's episode, we have all the regulars on the way for you. The Sunday Sip, uh, we've got Booze and Brews News 
and we've got a question for the week as well. We're going to get into the Sunday sip, and there's a reason we're going to talk a little bit more about this today, which we'll get to shortly, but a brief introduction to this week's Sunday sip. So we're talking about a wine today, and it's a wine that we came across on a wine tasting that we did two or three months ago. Uh, it was a wedding present from some friends mm-hmm. back in the UK. They got us a wine tasting around the Marlborough region of New Zealand, which if you know anything about wine, you'll know Marlborough is very famous for their Sauvignon Blanc, above all other things. Mm-hmm. But this wine is not a save. It's uh, a Spanish grape grown in a Marlborough vineyard, and it was very beautiful for one reason in particular that we will get to. But today's Sunday sip for episode two is... Forest 2021 Albarino, which you can pick up for around $28 from the cellar door. And what can you tell us about Forest before we get stuck into it? So Forest has been going since the late 1980s. It's run by a couple and they have a few different labels on the go now. Under they have Forest, uh, The Doctors and Tatty Bogler. And this Albarino was planted in their hottest site, so the southern valleys of the vineyard. And they say that the soils there are very complex with a touch of clay. Mm. And Albarino, I think, is safe to say uh, it's a grape that I love, but it's one of your all-time favourites, isn't it? Yeah, it would be my go-to probably for a white wine. It's just it's something that I've always drunk with my family on holiday, usually at the end of a hot day, <laughs> maybe somewhere in Portugal or France. And it's just refreshing it's the first drink like of the evening as the cool of the day is is the heat of the day sorry is cooling off most definitely and Albarino is one of those grapes that uh, is just is just so refreshing it's one of those ones that's quite acidic the the fruitiness is kind of sort of comes from the sort of stone fruit sort of mm. flavors it's uh and I hope I've got this right it's Spanish if you can't tell by the name kind yep. of Iberian Peninsula kind of area so it's yep. got that real sort of coastal influence it pairs really well with seafood I think fish tacos is like one of the go-tos for food yep. pairing with this wine but this one here that we tried uh, from Marlborough, it stood out not because of really any of those things, but because of one flavour in particular that is not at all typical of an Albarino. In fact, us trying it and getting this flavour jumping out, some would say we were incorrect uh, we were in, wrong. in getting this, this note. But when we tried it over in Marlborough, I got punched in the face with the flavour of rosemary. And you got that too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It was a slightly more subtle for me. It was a slow burner, but once it came out, it didn't go away. Whereas for you, it was like a, like a punch in the face. Yeah, now there's not many wines that I've tried uh, where you sort of sip it and immediately you get just one note jumps out so much higher than all the others. But this was certainly one of those experiences. So much so that we spoke to the, the cellar door manager. Rachel, uh, Rachel was her name. She was lovely. She was fantastic. And we said to her, look, we're getting really strong rosemary on this is that typical of this grape and she had to go away and get a glass for herself and she couldn't quite taste it could she but she sort of knew where she we could were see where from. it might be stemming from yeah, yeah that sort of medicinal herby kind of flavor wasn't almost it? a little bit though like perfumed in its approach mm. you know the way rosemary especially if you get it from the garden can be almost a little bit much sometimes yeah. in how it, how it comes through. Yeah, but I suppose off the back of that, it sort of got us thinking that there is really no right or wrong answer to doing a tasting, right? Because if, if we put that on paper and you showed that to any wine expert and said, hey, look, we got really strong rosemary notes, they would say, no, you didn't, though, because that's not really a flavour that an Albarino carries. And it just 
it got us thinking and it started a conversation about how tasting wine or whiskey or coffee or any drink really is really such a personal experience and that there is no right or wrong answer because your experience is your experience and no one can take that away from you, can they? It's so subjective and it's like entirely your own perception of it, which will be influenced by so many things that are personal to you and your mm. life that it just it, it's not going to be replicated in the same manner for every person. So we thought what we'd do today is we would take, uh, so off the back of that tasting, we, we loved it, so we ended up buying ourselves a bottle of uh, Forest <laughs> Albarino, brought one home, and we thought, actually, you know what, that would form a good basis for an episode. So today we're going to try that bottle of Albarino once again, see if we can get the same notes, and we're going to talk about how and why to savour the sip. So we'll get into that shortly, uh, but also coming up, can you give us a couple of a sneak peek for the news later on the episode, Nick? Yeah, we've got a couple different news headlines. We've got some some funny whiskey stories, a little bit of insight from the wine industry, the French wine industry specifically, and a little bit from the coffee world as well. Fantastic. After that, we've got this week's question. We'll share any questions or comments from yourself, and that'll probably wrap up the episode. I'm going to get the wine out of the fridge. Let's get into it. So a bottle of Forest Albarino in hand, a couple of glasses. We're going to pour that out shortly. But before we do that, uh, I do encourage you, if you're at home and you're listening to this episode here, to grab a drink and join in. And it doesn't have to be uh, a wine necessarily. If you've got a, a coffee or, or a whiskey or... A wee tin, perhaps? Yeah, even a wee beer in the fridge. Uh, grab it out and join in because what we're going to be covering off today is the process that we go through I suppose it, probably ritual is the better word, um, ceremony even, the, mm. the, the ritual that we go through to fully savour the sip or, or savour the experience of drinking something like this Albarino. And I guess we'll cover off, before we get to that, a bit more about the, the why. Why do we do this? It would be so much easier to just pour out a couple of glasses, drink it and say, yeah, it was good, and then move on, right? Sweet, be on our way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But we do add a, a bit of complexity to it. Uh, to the process and and there's a few reasons why I suppose the first one is it's a bit of an exercise in in mindfulness in a way uh, we're being very mindful of the process we're being quite grateful it's an exercise in gratitude as well uh, and also I suppose it's a bit of a respect for the craft isn't it completely it's a respect for the craft and like the the process that product has gone through it's generally like if you take whiskey for an example there's so many hands and so many skills that have touched mm. that product throughout its lifetime and it's kind of an ode to them and a, a gratefulness for their skill set and the time that they've devoted to that and you're just acknowledging that by giving it a bit more ceremony i think yeah definitely the, the amount of expertise that goes into expertise any that product, was the word really. i was looking for i remember listening to i can't remember it was on a, another podcast or something but they the question was asked uh, you know if if you were the only person on the planet how long would it take to go to be able to bring all that expertise together to put together a simple needle and thread like would a lifetime be long enough to do that and it's the same thing with whiskey right how long would it take you to learn how to grow barley how long would it take you to learn how to farm barley how long would it take you to put together a cask like the amount of hands and expertise and everything that goes into that one product is just it's overwhelming it's baffling when you really dial into that and the thing I love about that process is that all of this expertise, all of these thoughts and hands and everything, and not just in the production, we're talking importing, exporting. Some little shopkeeper has bought this bottle and put it on the shelf, and then we've gone and bought it. All of that expertise funnels down 
to this experience, you and I sitting in a chair, two glasses of wine, and tasting it. And that final step, and that everything's gone into that final step, and it's up to us to get that right. It's like you and, decide the fate of the product. Totally. And that, to me, I just feel immense privilege yeah. for that. And almost like, it's it, sure, it's quite a romantic way of looking at it, but it's it's quite special to be sitting at the end of that process and, look, it's up to us to enjoy it to the fullest of our extent. It's something that I think it happens automatically with food, right? Mm. You're at a restaurant, you get food delivered to the table, it looks delicious, smells delicious, you take a bite of it, you close your eyes, you fully savour in the flavour of it, mm, fantastic. Or it's even when your waiter arrives and sets down your food, the entire table will go silent, everyone will look at what's arrived and be like, oh gosh, that looks so good, can't wait to try this. Does that happen with drinks? No, certainly not. It's, in fact, it's almost stigmatised yeah. with drinks. So, you know, the moment you put it up to your nose and start really trying to pick out the, the notes or whatever... I, one of two things will happen. People will look at you and be like, who's this guy? What a wank. Or you'll feel that yourself. You yeah. know, No one will be looking at you, but you're thinking, oh, God, I feel like a bit of a, a bit of a wine snob right now. And that is just ridiculous. You know, you pay 30 bucks for a meal. You should fully savor it. You pay 20 bucks for a drink. You pay 10 bucks for a drink. Absolutely. You should savor in that experience. And I suppose we want to just remove that stigma right now, right? If you're paying for that drink... You deserve to enjoy it to the fullest of its extent. It deserves to be enjoyed to its fullest extent. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of looking yeah. at it. Flip it on its head. So we've got a few things that we go through sort of as a default. And some people will do this their own way. Some people I know like to read up on the history of, of maybe the grape or the the coffee plantation or the distillery or whatever. And that gives them a bit more meaning to their experience. I've done that in the past. It's not something we do so much anymore. But while I pour this out, do you want to run us through what are the things that we go through when we're doing a, a tasting? So firstly, we would look at the presentation of the product we're about to have. So presentation would kind of encapsulate the bottle, the packaging, the pour and the serve or the glassware, as well as the actual liquid itself, because all of that, those elements kind of play into your perception mm. of the liquid before you even open it up. And then we would consider the aroma so how it smells, how that makes us feel, what kind of notes we might pick out, and then moving through to the flavour. And not just the taste, but a little like Colin and Elena's analogy earlier about kissing the otter's feet, <laughs> how that makes you feel, what kind of experiences might that evoke, just that that experience on your palate, as aside from just, oh, it tastes like grape or it tastes like apple. And finally then, considering the overall experience around the product. So how you're feeling that day, how it makes you feel, does it change your mood? Mm. What kind of experience you're having around the beverage? Like, are you in a noisy bar and you feel a bit stressed and annoyed? Yeah. Or are you comfortable at home with a group of friends enjoying a glass of wine? And that final point, I think, is often quite underrated, but really plays more of a... Massively impactful on your perception of that product, oh, I definitely. Definitely. For now, we'll start off with talking about the presentation, right? So we're going to step through uh, sort of go appreciating this bottle of uh, Forest Alberino 2021. And again, if you've got a drink at home, join in with us. So we're going to start off by talking a bit more about the uh, the bottle and the packaging. Now, you worked in this space in the past, uh, sort of packaging and, and design and things for, for whiskey in particular. I suppose bottles and packaging is one of those things. It's just overlooked, right? Like Completely. it's there to sell, sell a product, but... There is so much more complexity than people give it credit for. Yeah, it's 
fundamentally it's there to sell a product but it's also there to convey a message from the creators of that product and I think that's the point that I personally love about it and get quite passionate about. It's distilling what the people who have made this product view as, you know, their values, the the core kind of messaging from what they are doing and the craft and love they have put into that product. So it's not just to sell, but it can give you a little window into the whole ethos of that product. So one I'm going to pull out for an example is kind of an iconic, well, it's become an iconic bottle, is the Harris Gin bottle, Mm. which is super recognizable it's beautiful gorgeous bottle like swirls throughout the glass the color change it's kind of become reused as a water bottle in every hip bar since it's <laughs> since its launch but aside from the obvious influences in the design of that that reflect the maritime influences and you know the, the swirling motions of the sea and the color of that beautiful hebridean water mm. on the base of the bottle they have a latin phrase Excuse my Latin, it's obviously not my first language. <laughs> I'm used, isn't it? Esse quam videre, which it means to be rather than to seem to be. And Harris Distillery felt the need to put this on the bottle because it basically hones in that they believe that authenticity is important above all else and that everything they do they want to be true to themselves and true to the location Mm. and true to the process and they will never do something just for the sake of doing it but there's a deeper meaning to it all I think Harris Gin is a beautiful example of that, of where just every element has been considered to the nth degree you know like it's not just like the bottle is incredible it's a stunning bottle we've got one in the cupboard that's still got some gin in it but you're right as soon as that's empty that's getting used for decoration because it's just it's a work of art. I will but, have some eucalyptus stems in there. <laughs> <laughs> but even down to like the cap, that's obviously been thought through. The label, you know, it's got those flecks of copper and, and sea kelp in it. Like everything's been thought so tightly about. And that's just one example. Like entire agencies, creative agencies exist this in this This is an entire space. industry and entire award schemes. Like it, there's that level of thought that goes into it for a reason. And again, just coming back to that number of hands thing, just thinking about how much thought and how many brains have been involved in the design of, of, of every How many concepts ended up on the cutting room floor? So let's take it back to this bottle of Forest Albareño. Now we spoke about gin. Uh, a lot of thought goes into to, to whiskey design and packaging and the like as well. And wine obviously has quite a bit of thought go into it, but I suppose, I don't want this to sound harsh, but I find wine packaging quite boring. It's very traditional mm. and it's not really evolved above what is the tradition. Like whiskey has kind of moved away and I think um, there's some beautiful examples of progressive whiskey packaging, like from Brookladdy and that kind of thing, where they're, they're moving away from what is that industry norm. Wine just doesn't seem to care. No, it's an industry that's rooted in a bit more, well, it's not rooted in more tradition, but they, they have remained faithful to the traditions in a way. Like the, the color of the glass doesn't really change. The shape of the bottle changes slightly depending on the grape. But if we take this bottle of El Barino as an example, it's like it's pretty straightforward. We have a picture of it up on our Instagram. It's just a slender bottle with a, a cap at the top. Um, it's nice, a New Zealand minimalist. wine. So they tend not to use corks here in New Zealand. It's a screw top. Uh, yeah, the label uh, I'm well on board with. It's minimalist. It's got a nice bit of copper. The, the logo of the trees has got a nice copper finish to it. And Forest Albarino 2021 Marlborough, established 1988 New Zealand, and that's it. There's not really much more Job to say done. about it. It looks elegant. It looks nice. It doesn't really make me feel any certain way, but it 
does the job. Is that fair? Then I think there is this kind of perception within the wine industry around packaging that like progressive is sometimes viewed as a little tacky. Mm. And you can see that with some of the the younger um, rosé brands in particular coming out and they, they consider the design more and people view it as disrespectful yeah like i don't know why it is like breaking away from tradition yeah it's like that tradition is so ingrained and i guess in wines in with vineyards they tend to be so family owned and it's passed down and passed down and passed down it's always retaining what's been done before Mm. and holding what's been done before in the highest regard yeah so to veer away from that is a little bit more like oh what you doing that's disrespectful (laughs) yeah so presentation as you said it has uh has layers to it there's obviously the bottle and the packaging uh the next one i suppose is the glassware which you know it's just we've got a couple of white wine glasses we don't need to say too much about that but for me a big part of the experience and you know this is i'm really fussy about the glassware being clean that's a whole part of it you know if if i go to a a wine bar or something and i get glassware that's got fingerprints all over it it just I don't know why, it just lessens the experience for me. So these are nice and clean, I suppose. So that's obviously part of it. If you're decanting it, the shape and style of the decanter is part of it too. And then we move on to the liquid itself, right? Yeah, so in terms of what to look for in the liquid, we're always looking for kind of colour tones that come out or how does it change when the light moves through it? How does it move within the glass? Is it like clinging to the edge? That kind of gives you an indication of its viscosity as well. Liken it to other things, like what might it remind you of? And not just in terms of like direct colour, but like you read some beautiful descriptions of being like, oh, it's like a morning dew on an autumn like day kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You can be quite fanciful in the language in this. And because using whiskey as an example for a second, if we lined up a hundred whiskies from a hundred different distilleries and you said, I want you to assign a colour to each of these, you'd pick up the first one, you'd say, amber. Next one, mm, pale gold. Third one, uh, slightly darker gold. Fourth one, it's a slightly lighter amber. The, the language that you can use is kind of limited, so mm. I always like to liken it to things. So uh, I can't think of an example right now, but maybe if we pick up this glass of Albarino, I get a slight green tinge to I it. I was so literally it's... about to say it's a little bit limey. Yeah. It looks like lime cordial before you add water to I, it. I was just thinking... Not that, quite so green, that sounds a bit fluoro. Yeah, but the kind of, like, a weak cordial that I would have had when I was younger, it kind of gives me that sort of vibe. I look at this and I expect to get limey, sort of citrusy notes. So, actually, the colour evokes the grape quite well in this instance. Yeah. In terms of how thick it is, if we give it a quick swirl, I would expect it to be quite light, being the style of grape that it is, and... Yeah, it does have a little bit of drag on the glass, yeah, though, but it moves quite quickly. Sitting a bit thicker than I remember it the first time, but it sits nicely. It looks like it's going to be beautiful and crisp mm. and refreshing. Now, the language that you use around it, you can be fanciful if you want to, but you don't need to be. I think one of my favorite descriptors to use, and <laughs> you remember we used this one at, I think, was it St. Clair yeah. over in Marlborough? We had a noble Sauvignon Blanc, which comes out, and it's it's quite thick and yeah. quite like a dark yellow. And we didn't say this to the team there, but to privately to one another, it looks like dehydrated urine. <laughs> which, you know, it's... It, that immediately tells you what it looks like, Yeah, right? hungover wheeze. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. So you can just use the language that feels most natural to you, whether it's to pick out colours or to sort of liken it to something. But yeah, I think this one here sits really nicely in the glass. I like the way it looks. I think it gives me a good insight into what the flavour and the nose and everything else is going to be like. So moving on, we step up to aroma. And aroma is one of the things that 
we personally think is so subjective and basically right your sense of smell will be so influenced by not only your life growing up and your experiences and influences in that Mm. but your daily life as well so if for example you lived in a household where there was loads of baking you'll maybe taste the sweeter notes on things you might be like oh I get marzipan from that or you'll you'll smell that as well and it's the same if you say grew up with a a lot of curries around you Mm. you might stick your nose in a glass and be like oh my gosh is that cardamom where someone else wouldn't be able to but it's also if say for example you're a person who works in a fish factory you're going to be exposed to horrendously strong pungent smells all day every day which is going to mean you've got a higher tolerance for that so you're going to stick your nose in a glass and think that something is really delicate and light and sort of like gently tickling your your nose buds is that what you call them (laughs) (laughs) olfactory something or other i'm sure there's a better word for it but nose buds we'll go with that but whereas someone else would find that as you know punching and biting in the back of their throat when they take a smell so it's it's just so so personal that you can't read a bottle and expect to get that immediately on the nose what what these experts are saying yeah definitely and people will say to you oh you know you should be able to smell this it's so obvious but what can be obvious to 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 me for example might not be obvious to you Mm -hmm. uh you know or, or the next person it really just does it is the sum of your experiences up to that point if you've smelled you know if you grow up in a coastal community you're going to be more in tune with sort of salty briny kind of smells if you grow up on a farm you'll probably pick out the more grassy notes yeah it just it really does depend and the other thing too is that practice makes perfect with any kind of tasting right the first time you know someone hands you a glass of wine and says what do you smell you smell it and you say well yeah it smells like wine (laughs) and then maybe over time as you try more and more wine you might start to pick out more flavor categories you'll be able to pick up one glass and say that one's sweet that one's earthy uh and then in time that gets narrowed down a bit further you pick up one wine and you say yeah nectarine that one there Mm." Chalk, mm, that one there, limestone. And it just, it really is a process of taking time and trying more drinks, right? It's not something that's going to come overnight. And the only way you get better is like anything, is through practice, isn't it? And that little um, side-by-side note as well as to how you kind of personally evolved your journey oh yeah this this is something we spoke about beforehand wasn't it so with coffee so coffee is something i got into a few years ago and it was i was struggling with it i was trying coffees and just nah i can't pick out the flavors smells like coffee one slightly stronger in this flavor than the other but i can't get anywhere with it and it was not until someone suggested that i try them side by side that the world absolutely opened up for me um got two or three coffees at a time ground them up turned them into a drink and then had one yeah, okay, that one tastes like coffee. Next one, oh, actually, that one's jammier than that first one. Pick up the third one. Oh, I, I get almond on that and then go back to the first one. Oh, okay, right, I get this flavor from it. And actually trying drinks side by side can really help to accentuate those notes. So that's something definitely worth trying if you're wanting to get into uh, tasting or, or, or nosing a bit more. So anyway, we've talked a bit about how it works. I think it's time that we get into it. Uh, the Forest, El Barino, 2021. Let's have a wee sniff. Tell us what we think. So the thing that jumps out for me, it's acidic, right? I get a lot of like, a lot of acidity. It's quite like tart smelling, maybe a bit of lime in there. What are you getting? Definite acidity. It's quite strong. There is a sweetness. But there is a sweetness in like a stony fruit. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting a little bit of grapefruit as well, but I can't tell if that's just the acidity. 
I think last time we tried this, I read my notes beforehand, I said it was like a softer Sauvignon Blanc, and I do get that minerality, that, you know, that kind of limestone sort of smell that you get from, that's typical of a Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. I don't so much get that as strong in this Albarino, but yeah. it is definitely there. Interestingly, and same as last time, I don't get any rosemary on the no, nose. Me either. So I'm very curious to taste this in just a moment. I'm going to laugh if we don't get it I at all. Too. I'm like salivating, so I really want to get into it. But before we do, we want to talk a bit more about the flavor. Now, we don't have too much to say here because it's, it's effectively the same principles as aroma. Um, some people will pick out more through the smell than they do the taste. Some people will pick out more through the taste than the smell. But it really is the same thing. It depends on what your palate is like in terms of your experiences to that point. Some people will pick out more flavors than others. Some people will pick out some flavors stronger than others. If you've got a sweet tooth, you're going to pick up on different things to if you've got a more savory tooth. Or if you've been, you know, had a lifetime of being quite a fussy eater, you're maybe not going to pick out like those kind of intricate tones if you haven't been sort of exposing your palate to that sort of thing all along. And you might not even like it as yeah, well, that's so, true. which is also fine. Now with flavor, I, I tried to think of a better word to describe this because flavor sort of implies the way it tastes, right? But there really is more to tasting anything than just the way it, it tastes there's things like mouthfeel which i think is the creepiest phrase ever but, but there's nothing that describes one. it the same but it's just i just always think about like a little little person inside your mouth like stroking your gums <laughs> i don't know what it is it just it makes me feel weird okay uh there's things like acidity that's not so much something you taste but more something you feel tannin is something that's big with wine so that's that kind of grippiness so you try like a really bold red wine or something and afterwards it feels like you got sandpaper on your tongue that's the tannin or if you uh, feel like you're drinking it for days after i find that with some coffees it's yeah re it's really really sticky well other things with coffee yeah it can be you know you can taste the thickness again it's not a taste but it's more of a feeling um how does it coat your mouth if it's something like a whiskey do you feel a burn is it warming um a word that i love with coffee is it unctuous it's a word I'm really a big fan Unctuous. of. I heard it a while back and I'm like, oh, that's such a beautiful description. That's so a that, big word. Well done. It's that like thickness that, that, was so that patronizing. The, the body that a coffee has and carries with it. And I suppose you can get that with things like whiskey too. So just finding different ways to describe how it feels as well as how it tastes. But I suppose it all boils down to, at the end of the day, is it delicious? Do you enjoy it? So with that in mind, I think we raise this bottle of Albarina. And if you've got a glass on the go at home... Raise that. Well, cheers to you. Slancher. Let's see what we think. So, I get no rosemary. I at am all. not even getting a hint of it. <laughs> not even in the ballpark. Like, gorgeous, smooth, mellow, refreshing, mm. like, getting grapefruit, a oh, few yeah. citrusy yeah. tones. No, I get the citrus, I get the stone fruit, I get the acidity, but I just don't get any herbiness Rosemary this time. is an absolute no-show. I'm wondering if we look back at the notes, what we tried last time, maybe... What we, we had prior maybe influenced it? I think we it? started with a rosé. We did, yeah, which so, was like strawberries. It was like a, a summer day at Wimbledon was mm, how Rachel described it. So maybe following that is where that note came from. But interestingly, no, not getting any of that this time, which is, I mean, to me, that makes it kind of fun, right? Yeah, I'm just glad we didn't save this bottle then specifically to pair with a pizza mm. with the intention of it uh, enhancing the rosemary elements. Mm. We would have been a little bit disappointed. Or maybe we would have got it in that scenario. You never know. Just for context there, we uh, our favourite pizza is a, a mushroom and rosemary. Some people are probably thinking, Rosemary on pizza? What the hell? Oh yeah, I hadn't even thought of yeah, that. Just clarify that. It's real good, can recommend. Put loads of garlic as well. Going back to this wine though, end of the day, is it delicious? 
Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it. Stunning. So the thing that we always look at next when we're going through a tasting, so we, we go through, we have our own experience, we try not to muddy that with any preconceived ideas about what it is, but one thing I always do like to do is after we've tried it, take a look at the notes uh, that the distillery or the winery or whoever is telling us we should be tasting. I think it's important to look at this afterwards because if you read it beforehand, it can often cloud your judgment. If the winery says, oh, you're going to taste lime and bergamot and jasmine, you go into it expecting to taste those things and you might miss some of the other notes that you would have otherwise tasted. So... Taking a look at what we should be tasting with this grape, we've got two things that we can look at. First of all, what does an Albarino typically taste like? And what is Forrest telling us this interpretation of an Albarino tastes like? So starting with the grape itself, and I've plucked this off the website Wine Folly, uh, which I would highly recommend as a resource for learning a bit more about wine, being instrumental in helping me understand a bit more about wine and the industry and, and other things. Uh, so they say, Albarino is loved for its rich stone fruit flavors, a hint of salinity and zippy acidity. Notes include some of the most prominent ones, lemon zest, grapefruit, honeydew, nectarine and saline. I love the use of zippy in that. I'm mm. going to definitely be stealing that. So forests say everything we'd hoped for and showing all the tra traditional Albarino elements, mm -hmm. plus that extra fruit lift of New Zealand to keep it interesting. Vibrant acidity, white peach, winter coal pear, apricots and quince, ooh, mm. with an orange zest undertone. It's full and textural, yet refreshing and nicely balanced with a drying minerality to finish. I definitely get that minerality. I really quite enjoy that. Yeah, and like I don't necessarily agree with them on all those points. I wouldn't so much say it's textural. I get the fullness. But I don't get any orange. Again, like we said earlier, this is personalized to you. Your experience is your experience and no one can take that away from you. If you disagree with what the winery or distillery or whoever is saying you should be tasting, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, maybe I ate too much dirt as a child and that's why I always get <laughs> minerality <Okay>. elements. <laughs> Inside into Nikki's life just there. <laughs> ate too much dirt. And that, I suppose, leads us nicely into the final part, which is experience. We mentioned this at the front. This is something that is often underrated. Um, I think it's probably the most important part of tasting or, or experiencing or savouring the sip and really incorporates quite a number of factors, doesn't it? Yeah, it'll take into account kind of where you are, who you're with, how you're feeling. There's just so many things that can impact your experience of that product. Even like what you ate earlier that day, how hydrated are you? Yeah, what you're doing now and what you were doing earlier. And a classic example of that, I suppose, is is a beer on a hot day, right? You know, yeah. when you go for a nice long run or a hike or you've been working in the garden all day, that first sip of beer beats the snot out of the second sip of beer or the third sip of beer. It's just something about that first sip that's just so refreshing and beautiful. So that all kind of combines to add into, into the experience. And I would say, when we were talking about this beforehand, a good experience and a bad drink will always beat a bad experience and a good drink. And we've got a personalized example of that, haven't we? Oh, the Staffer trip. Yeah, yeah. So Daniel and I did a little a little boat trip. Um, I think it was for my birthday, wasn't it? It was. Um, where we went to the Isle of Staffa and it was gorgeous, stunning, great experience. But usually we would take a little hip flask of whiskey when we go on these kinds of trips just because it, it feels rude to be out that way and, and not have a dram. 
but we forgot this time. So I popped to the local shop and just got a spar blend. Oh, which- just for a bit of context, Staff is an island off the uh, off the west coast of Scotland, just for anyone who's who's not familiar. Oh yeah, sorry. So yeah, we just popped to the local shop, got this spar blend. I think it was five pounds five pounds blend, yeah. something like that and we, we didn't have high hopes for it obviously because there was it was just nondescript in all of its uh all of its copy you pay that much for a whiskey at a store somewhere in scotland you assume it's going to be shite yeah when it's like snuggled in between the bread and like baby food <laughs> and yeah crisps it's it's not going to be groundbreaking but we wanted to enjoy the experience to its fullest anyway so we went out to the edge of the island and we were looking in Fingal's cave Mm -hmm. and cracked this open and it was gorgeous i think if we tried it right now we would probably spit it out but at the time just in that environment and with that experience going on it was probably one of the most memorable whiskies i've ever had in my life but i had it when we got home and it was horrible it was reserved strictly for hot toddies after that but yeah it, it was not great but in the moment Stunning. So all of that said, it really just does go to show that the experience can be play such a huge part in the kind of overall enjoyment of a drink, whether it's whiskey, wine, coffee, cocktails, beers, whatever, it doesn't really matter. The experience is that final factor and I think is so worth a mention. So in summary, when we're going through our tasting, it's been a long-winded process of going through it, but I think ultimately it comes down to just a few important factors. First of all, presentation the bottle the packaging the liquid how it's served the aroma the flavor and finally the experience and all of these things will combine to create something that is hopefully quite a special experience and that's our process of going through it you may have your own way of getting there you may have your own way of appreciating a liquid but look if you're looking at getting into maybe enjoying your whiskey uh, your wine your coffee or whatever it is a little bit more and putting a bit more meaning and a bit more thought gratitude and ritual behind it maybe this will help you do so Time now to head over to the news desk for this week's booze and brews news. I'm going to pour out a wee bit more of this Albarino. Well, Nikki, you give us the headlines. What have we got? Sweet. So our first headline today comes from Johnny Walker, who have released a new special edition of their Black Label series using ink made from air pollution. So 2,500 bottles have been created. Does that say, just out of interest, whereabouts the air pollution came from? Yeah, so they've actually created six limited edition bottles out of this to uh, represent the six cities that the air pollution was collected from, Mm -hmm. which are Mexico City, New Delhi, Warsaw, Bangkok, Istanbul, and Madrid. All fairly polluted places by the sound of it. Surprised LA isn't in there, but never mind. They say that the Air Inc. partnership demonstrates the power of combining art and innovation, making this limited edition range a true collectible. Of course they would say that, wouldn't they? Yeah, they'll make some bank on these, Mm. but it's pretty cool nonetheless. The last and our second headline, I find kind of funny, but it is a bit of a shame. Um, a British man was arrested this week by the FBI for allegedly spearheading a 30 million pound whiskey scam, defrauding more than 150 US investors. And apparently, they took them in with uh, British accents and whiskey knowledge into investing in um, rare whiskies and fine wine. That's a tricky one, though, isn't it? Because it's one of those industries where there is just so much money to be made that it's kind of like it's ripe for fraud. Oh, 100%. I'm kind of surprised we don't see headlines like this more often. Maybe it's just because they don't get caught as much. Anyway. Yeah, true. 
The World of Coffee 2022 wrapped up earlier after a busy few days in Milan. Mm-hmm. The show ended with crowning the crowning of five world coffee champions with a real international split. Winners came from Italy, Poland, South Korea, Austria and the UAE. The full list is available at milan.wcc.coffee. Got to say, I've been watching that on Instagram this week. Uh, Specialty Coffee Association is the account I think I've been following. They've been posting heaps from it and I just, I wish I was there so bad. Now into the wine world, where there has been an extreme heat wave in France that threatens vineyards. Temperatures are to soar above 40 degrees C this week and droughts are also raising wildfire concerns. They had experienced, I think in Bordeaux, a freezing April, which will prove to be quite tough for the farmers now with these intense temperatures. Sheesh. And finally, we've got a little bit of funny story from Glenlivet, which if you've been following them on Instagram, you'll have seen this. It's been quite entertaining, to be honest. Morrison's recently accidentally sold the Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve for £2.50. Jesus! And uh, one... That's a bloody steal. That's a nice bottle of whiskey too. Yeah, well, someone obviously agreed and Anthony Silson, who managed to basket 10 bottles before Morrison's quickly retracting their order, realising their mistake. The Glenlivet saw this and thought there was an opportunity, so sought to find Anthony Silson, as they mm-hmm. thought he'd be quite sad that he missed out on this, you know, absolute steal. And they managed to find him through posting on the Yorkshire Post, as well as their Instagram. So they found him and gifted him 10 bottles, and also gifted the Instagram follower who aided the discovery a bottle as well, which is pretty neat. Not bad. Thank you very much, Nikki, for this week's Booze and Brews news. A few interesting headlines there. We will have more again next week. And time now to move on to Instagram. We've given it a couple of mentions throughout the show. Uh, but once again, if you do want to follow us, we are at Sips with the Tips on Instagram. We have a question each week which will relate to the week's episode. And today, uh, quite obviously, we're going to ask the question of what do you think is the most important part in the experience of a drink? Now, again, that can be whiskey, wine beer, coffee, cocktails, whatever, anything at all. Sherry. Sherry. Whatever's your tipple. Port, anything at all. What do you think is the most important part of the experience? Is it the presentation? That's the bottling, the packaging, how it's served, how the liquid looks. The aroma, how it smells. The flavour, again, because I can't think of a better word, not just how it tastes, but kind of that whole richness of inner mouth experience sounds horrible (laughs) the flavor or finally the experience when you're enjoying that liquid which is the most important let us know we will be asking that question throughout the week and we will report back in episode three next sunday And the last thing we like to do is feature any questions or feedback that we've had through the week. Uh, Not too much to report on this week. Obviously, we're still building that following. But one that did come through from Rachel, who was asking us if we could go back. And I don't know if you've seen this question when it came through, Nick. But if we could go back and try one whiskey again for the first time, which would it be? And I thought... What a dope question. Easy answer for me. Um, Mine would have to be... Uh, an Octomore, Brook Lady Octomore. First whiskey tasting I ever did. I think we tried eight whiskeys that night. And the final one we tried was an Octomore. And that one has always since then stood out to me, not so much for the flavor or anything like that. But look, if you've tried Octomore, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Experientially, that one just blew my mind. You absolute thief. That would probably be mine as well. 
it's, it's just yeah, it's a different experience. It's one of those whiskies that just like you that you never forget the first time you try it, right? Because it just as long as it's one of those really super highly peated editions, yeah, it, you will never forget it. Oh, I wish I'd answered first. Now <laughs> I seem like I'm just like eh, Daniel said this, so I'm. But yeah, Octomore would probably be mine as well. It yeah. just kind of like it shakes up your perceptions a little and makes you rethink like how oh, you should be experiencing something. Nice. Thank you very much, Rachel, for sending through that question. And look, if you've got any yourself, if you want to ask us anything, we could feature it here on the show. So do just get in contact either at Sips with the Tips on Instagram, or you can email us to the Tips at Sips with the Tips dot com. And that's the last call bell for week two of Sips with the Tips. And before we wrap things up, I do just once again want to say an enormous thank you to you for joining us for episode two. If you have any thoughts or feedback, we would love to hear it. This episode was, I think, maybe a little bit long-winded, but, you know, savouring the sip is what this podcast is all about and something we were very passionate about, so I think we were always... Going to get a little carried away. (laughs) Always running the risk of getting a little bit carried away on this topic. But do uh, do thank you once again for joining us. Next week's episode is going to be in a similar vein to this one, but a bit more about why and how to keep tabs on the experiences that you have had to date. Today's episode was brought to you by the word unctuous, (laughs) an adjective meaning smooth and greasy in texture or appearance. What a word, eh? Cheers. Till next time, Slancha. Sips with the Tips is written, recorded and produced by us. Theme music by All Good Folks via Upbeat.io. Keep in contact at our website, sipswiththetips.com or through our Instagram at sipswiththetips. And as always, sip sensibly, savour the sip, and we'll see you next Sunday. Sip.